All right. Hey, y'all. It is grab your wallet time. Uh, we've been having fun doing this show. We love you guys for supporting us. Those of you that don't support us, patreon.com is where you go give us the money to get us to these people or beers to these people so we can interview them. And John's got some t-shirts. So that's on stealthisbeer.com slash merch. Check that out. Either way, thanks for playing along. Can't believe we get away with this every week, Monday at five. about beer over beer by a couple of guys that think about beer way too much. All right. Hey, y'all. It is five o'clock on Monday and we are stealing beer. I am Augie Carton. Hey, that's a nice t-shirt you're wearing. Thanks, buddy. I'm John glad Hall. You're, uh, glad you like it. Yeah. Oh, hi, John Hall. That's what hi. I was waiting for. How yeah, are you, no, John I'm, Hall? I'm doing really, really well. Been, I haven't seen you in 14 days. It's weird, like, right? Yeah. Uh, I figured yeah. I'd see you every day once the masks came off, and now I can't find you anywhere I go. Uh, well, you know, that's mostly because I'm hanging out at other breweries. I feel like I need to, after <gasps> restrictions are lifted, I need to go spread the love in other places. My my great female mm. hunt of, of I'm sure. 2021. So we're off we're off Roush beer and we're on to Creamel. Uh, I'm just looking for the intersection of the two. I bet what's you. Your, I bet what's your funny fake website for Creamel? Uh, I don't know. We, I don't know if we figured that out yet. For yeah. The the oh, Get on that shit, dude. Of course, dude. yeah. It's the cream ale caravan. There you go. Problem solved. Yeah. Problem we get a, a, a Van Morrison and his prime to start crooning about it. Oh. All right. Let's introduce like our that, that accomplice because I'll, right I'll straight too far here. But have you heard the new Van Morrison album? No. He's Is got it? a song called You're Just Jealous and a song called Why Are You on Facebook? It is literally 48 tracks of that meme, Old Man Shouts at Cloud. That's fantastic. I've heard that he it's, got like a little, it's little political, little, yeah. He he had some thoughts. He didn't get political. Around, he got he got he got grudgy, and it's it's a shame because his voice is still beautiful. You still like to hear, listen to him sing it, but when you listen to the words, you're like, oh, come and relax. Anyway, let's get right into it. Hey, Michael, how you doing? Welcome to the show, Michael. I'm gonna ask for your help with Tansmieri, Tansmieri, the first mm-hmm. time, but. The, Tonsmeyer. Tonsmeyer. That's so much better. I wanted to make it French. That's clearly not. <laughs> it's Ellis Island. So be, being, <laughs> being one of the 10 million people that read your book, since there's so much talk of wood and, you know, barrels make me think of French, I've just auto, always tried to make your, your name sound French in my head. And Tonsmeyer is much easier. It was it was originally Tons Mice uh, German, and it got oh. got changed on the the trip over here about a hundred years ago. All right, well now yeah. I know that. See, I'm Ch- learning already, change, John. Changed Hall. by the people uh, in control of the books when when your family landed, not uh, a concerted effort by the family while on the boat. Correct, that's my understanding. Okay, 
You don't think there was a big huddle of Tons Myers in the bat in the stern of the ship going, All right. Tons Mice. Fresh start, guys. Fresh no, the Tons start. Mice sitting around saying, you know, hey, do we want yeah. Fresh start, fresh start. We want to make sure we aren't being followed from the the, the homeland. <laughs> from the yeah. From those bastards. Anyway, welcome to the show, man. Um, I'm sure we should talk about what you're brewing and your beer and all that, but obviously we got to start on the book because I love the book. Do you remember that you and I met at Soured in September, I think in 14 or 15 when the book first came out? Only vaguely. Okay, me <laughs> that too. Was so that, that was a, that that was a crazy a time. Response. That's the beauty of Soured in September, but I remember you know, doing that that cir- that counterclockwise circuit I like to do there. And right after meeting you, Jesse said, you know, that's the guy that wrote that book you like. And I was like, no shit. So I had to double back and be like, hey, nice to meet you again. Anyway, that's that's my recollection of it. And then, of course, I erased everything from my brain with the sour coffee beer that, um, what's it called? Uh, Newberg was doing back then that mm-hmm. I just drank gallons and gallons of. Anyway, how you doing, man? How you been in the last seven years? Good. I mean, it's uh, obviously a long way from uh, sitting at a desk, being a federal employee, uh, thinking about beer on the weekends to uh, doing it pretty much every day. Yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. So so let's talk about that because I was shocked when I read. And obviously, if you guys don't know the book, what's the proper title? American Sour Beers is that. Is that it? That's it's, back it's, when they were doing that cycle of style books. Yeah, so it's it's American sour beers, and I can't even remember that the subtitle is the art and craft of making sour beers in America or mixed fermentation in America, something something along those lines. But at the time, you were a passionate home brewer slash blogger of interesting ferments, and you put together a collection of really good interviews with what wasn't a hard murderer's row of fantastic sour brewers back in 14 because there only were 30 yeah. of them to pick from right no and that that was sort of the easy thing back then is i sort of felt like i probably could reach out to just about anyone who was doing sour beer seriously and, and within two or three years it just sort of felt like you weren't a brewery if you didn't make at least one sour beer whether it was a, a kettle sour or you know had a couple of barrels going in the back somewhere um and so yeah i mean i've always been writing is a way for me to learn and that was sort of, you know, rather than trying to say what I thought, I was much more interested in learning what, you know, using that platform to uh, pick the brains of the people who uh, had been doing it professionally and making beers that I really loved and respected. Right, no doubt. And now, and now you're one of them. So, so when I read the book, what I took out of the book, which I'm sure is just a fool's errand, but that's how I do things. But what I took out of the book is there's no right way to do it. Do anything you think will be interesting and fun. Taste it. And if it tastes good, keep doing it like that. And if it tastes bad, throw that out right away and start over. Um, I don't know if that's what you intended, but now that you're on our side of it, now that you're brewing all the time and, and I'm sure making, you know, everything in the world, is there a part of the book that when you're in the cellar, you're like, yep, that is the right way to do that. You know what I mean? Is there a thing now that you're, practically large cell applying it where you're like, ha, that's the one. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing I've learned over the last few years is that we're happiest when rather than going to a commercial culture or rather going to um, you know any other source of microbes, finding that barrel that tastes great and using that barrel as the the seed, you know, the the sourdough starter for the next set of barrels. 
mm-hmm. and doing that again and again. And as we sort of repeat that iterative, you know, iteratively, um, we're happier and happier with uh, the way our beers are tasting, the acidity level we're getting, the consistency of them, um, all those sorts of things. So we sort of did the start with every culture we could find, bottle dregs, commercial cultures, um, you know, we've got some wild microbes going, uh, but from there it really is a sensory thing for us. Right on. I, that sounds like, well, go ahead, John, sorry. I was just going to say though, being a couple of years in, because I mean, I, after you write a book, there's always a million things that you want to change afterwards. And I'm, I'm curious if now that you have your own place, like, are there things that you would want to go back and change in the book now because you've been immersed in this day in, day out on the professional level? Oh, definitely. And that's, and those are honestly the biggest changes. Um, I have a presentation I give on sort of updates and a lot of it is, you know, uh, lactic acid yeast and sort of these sort of new topics. But the biggest stuff for me would be like equipment things, um, just being a home brewer and, you know, mostly working with carboys and buckets and, small scale, um, just not really having had a great sense of even what to ask other brewers on. How do you transfer out of a barrel? How do you deal with fruit? How do you, um, how do you package all those sorts of things that I gave sort of a cursory glance to, but sort of washed over as, um, Hey, if you're a professional brewer, you should probably already know how to do this. And I'm not going to try to tell you how to do your job. (laughs) Uh, But now I, I really wish I had asked all of those brewers, Hey, what kind of filter do you use? Do you, um, you know, carbonate your beers at all before uh, bottling them? Do you just rely on a gravity filler? Those sorts of things that we've found our way, and it definitely took a little bit of time, you know, learning to uh, not just rely on approximate, you know, carbonation values, but pump in CO2, do a ZOM, and then prime uh, with a little bit of sugar the rest of the way is sort of where we've ended up on that. But that took a little bit of time and we definitely had a couple early batches that were a little overcarbed or undercarbed depending on where we sort of stumbled into. Hmm. So now that you're doing it, so one of the most interesting things in this, and we, we, this comes up a lot, but the, one of the places beer has always needed help and you, you tried to help it with your book, but just the, the delineation of styles within wild, wild pitched, you know, wild cultured, all all the different things, bottle dregs, yeah, um, sour, tart, you know, all the different words that get captured under sour. Wh- where are you at in your own beer catalog, like? Do you have, being an economist, do you have columns of how, how, you know, how fine do you get in your definition of variation between, you know, whatever it may be, pH levels or pitch levels or, you know what I mean? Like, where are you drawing the lines in your head of, and what are the categories in your mind of the different things you're doing in the non- you know, sack pitch world, not your other beer stuff, but the stuff that still would be in the book. Yeah, it's, I mean, I think there's, and even in the last couple of years, there's sort of rise of these sweet and sour beers, which was really sort of a category that was very much an afterthought when I was writing the book, you know, places like New Glarus and Lindemans would do these beers that had some acidity, but also some sweetness. But, you know, now a lot of people come into the brewery and when they say sour beer, they mean, um, something that has, you know, a, a, let's say, vibrant, saturated fruit character, kettle sour, 
um, whether it's a, a pastry sour, but something in that kind of you know smoothie uh, direction. And that for me is now like a whole new category that I didn't even, that really didn't exist six or seven years ago. We do a little of that. We, we sort of, uh, we just did a beer with um, uh, a really unique yeast strain from Berkeley yeast that produces a passion fruit thiol. And we pair that with actual passion fruit and mango. And so that's sort of our uh, sweet and sour. And the pH is pretty low, in some cases lower than our traditional sour beers, but still has enough sweetness that it doesn't, you know, taste acidic or, you know, um, sharp or those sorts of things. And so that's kind of one umbrella. Um, and then we do sort of quicker sours that are mixed ferment. So like a Goza or Berliner Weiss or a Saison that um, are mashed on the cooler side, have Britannomyces, have live lacto in them um, and have some depth to them. Generally, I sort of, those beers fall into sort of a tart kind of range. Um, yep. We sort of aim for like three and a half pH and that's sort of one sort of stainless steel, you know, refreshing kind of category. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sort of when you, Get to the barrel beers, we have to be very careful um, because people, despite our best uh, descriptors of, you know, hey, some of these beers are, are not sour beers. Um, we did one of my favorite beers that we've done was uh, Sunlight of Bygone Days. We uh, got some uh, local apple cider. We boiled that down and we used that as like a sugar addition uh, rather than sucrose or glucose for a triple. In Chardonnay barrels, we added Brett. Um, so really inspired by beers like um, like De Dole uh, Stolen Noct or um, uh, True Diab does uh, Batusa Special. Sort of these like weird, you know, appley, high alcohol Brett kind of things, but it's not sour. Um, and when people see bread on the label, um, you know, I, I even in the description, and um, you know, I. I'm not a huge untapped guy, but I really like that I can put things right in that untapped description that someone opening the bottle may look at and be very clear, hey, this isn't intended to be a sour beer. It's gonna have you know, the funky, fruity, unique aromatics you might associate with a barrel-aged sour beer without the sourness. Um, and then sort of most of what we do from the barrels is just the, the full-on, um, I, I tend to just call them sour. Um, we, Wild is always a tricky um, phrase. I know some brewers like wild for anything with Brett and you know, then people argue, well, hey, if it was cultured from a beer in 1947 in England, and it's been in a lab for the last 70 years, is it really a wild beer? Yeah. Right. Um, we had that discussion. I got special dispensation to call, um, to call my beer wild because we, we culture the yeast out of our backyard on some beehives. Who, who gave and you I was, special dispensation? I don't even remember. What, what, um, what fiction? It was on the show. Conversation. It was on the show. You were listening to it. But um, I can't remember who on it was. Somebody show? from South Carolina. Yes, yeah, somebody from South Carolina or whatever. But in my mind, the minute we cultured it, grew it in an Erlenmeyer and kept it going, it was no longer wild. And I was told that, you know what I mean? I was like, I don't think that's wild by, you know, what I think wild is, but apparently it is. Anyway, yeah, and, should... and to me, that's that's sort of the line. Like, if you know, we when we do wild, we just sort of do the Earl and Meyer and then pitch the whole thing if we like the flavor. We haven't gotten into you know, plating out and selecting, and right, I, I, I also am not um, as hung up on um, you know, certain names as some other people. Uh, we got a lot of people mad. We sort of jokingly referred to one of these beers as a Merrill Lambic or a Merrill Lambic. 
And we got, you know, 25 people commenting that, you know, how in the world could we even use BIC together in a, in a beer name? And, and what about Belgium? And what about Lambics? And um, I love those people. They care so much. Yeah. It's, um, and I, I, we're certainly not going to make anything that says goose or Lambic on there, but we just did our first three year blend with, you know, a, a mixture of, you know, barrel fermented wheat and aged hops and, It'd be a lot easier if we could just give it one name rather than call it three-year blend of mixed ferment, <laughs> barrel-aged, aged hop, 50% raw, you know, whatever. If there's just like a one or two-word yeah. phrase that would yeah, the more words you the more words you write, the less attention they pay. Yeah, but uh, and it's funny you're, you've hit the there is the special torture of loving and wanting to make those beers you already said on tap. But I just got one of those ones, you know, every group of brewers that do do stuff like this alone will always make the joke. But I actually got the untapped the other day of, it's interesting. It's definitely good beer. I can definitely see why people would like it, but I hate sour. So one star. Yeah. And I was like, son of a bitch. <laughs> now I've got one for the fuel. But, and then the other side of that is somebody who's, you know, could have been a great beer, but he said Lambic, so fuck him right there. That's yeah. the worst. Yeah. How dare he break tradition with Belgium? Because I'm from Ohio. Um, and 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 not to mention that no one has a problem with Kolsch, which in the European Union has stricter regional control than Lambic does. Yep. And that has to be Kolsch Convention within fifty whatever it is. I try. I try desperately not to talk about Kolsch, even though I use their yeast in a lot of beers. <laughs> And I love the yeast. I think it works best with our water. I think it's the most interesting in the world. But every time I use it, I know I'm going to get flack from somebody for identifying that it's their yeast I'm using. Yeah. You know what I mean? Anyway, let's talk about glass one. Um, what brings us together on Seal This Beer is a candid conversation of beer. What it is, not what we hoped it would be. What it's doing, not what we thought it would do. How it tastes, not how we got it. Um, to facilitate that, we drink blind out of opaque glasses. The current iteration of Steal This Beer has Justin mailing us all beers from the world's coolest in Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, I believe all of us have, um, have it blind. Uh, you can confirm that for me, Michael. Do, are you, do you have a aluminum foil wrapped can in the most janky crooked bottomed way that's, I'm afraid it's going to spill every time I walk away from it? It's, it, mine is mine's actually pretty stable, but yes, I uh, yeah. I my, mine has mine has a a golf ball size clump of foil just balled up on the bottom of it. Um, Accurate. All right, and we have no Kennedy today. In case I didn't point that out, Cass is running the ones and twos and no. producing all the important production. What up, Cass? Lovely to speak with you, John. What do you got? <laughs> what do you got here? Uh, this one's sort of vexing to me. Um, is it? Yeah, there's there's like a little bit of I, I keep kind of going back and forth. I, I get a little bit of like a ginger thing and then a little bit herbal. Uh and then there's this like medicine like quality as well, you know, that sort of like generic prescription smell in the back of pharmacies. Uh it's sort of like a little bit waxy, a little medicinal. Um, that's just part of this as well. Um, but it's very light. It, it is refreshing, um, despite those words that I just said and those, uh, uh, that, that way that I just described this beer. Um, it's just, it, there's not a ton of finish to it. So I kind of keep going back to try to figure out what it is that I'm tasting. But I'm, I'm, 
I'm not mad at this. This is, this is, it's 90 degrees outside today. This is, this is nice for that. Um, uh, yeah, I am thirsty and it's drinking quickly for a thirsty person. Um, it's the thing else. I, so I got your ginger in as much as it smelled like Schweppes ginger ale. opened yeah. it. But once I started drinking it, that evolved into some nondescript fruity note I can't really nail. But it's like, I don't even know what a pawpaw tastes like, even though it keeps coming up. But if you told me this is what a pawpaw tastes like, I'd be like, oh, okay. Um, Interesting. You know, but it, it's just a whiff. It's, it's not like it's got fruit in it. It's just got a fruity tone that is a nebulous, nondescript, light orange colored fruit in my head. Um, I, I'd but say I like honey. It. I'd say honey is what okay. is what I'm getting. It is that sort of waxy, fruity, nondescript kind of thing. Huh. Yeah. I'm tasting again. So now, having said that, I got back to that ginger thing John's saying too. I like your honey. Maybe honeycomb is what we're talking mm. about, right? Or or an orange blossom honey. Is that yeah. something I know from stores? I don't know. It's 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 neat, but so mostly the, the thing that's most shocking about me, about it to me, <laughs> that's funny, yeah, Doctor Freud. Um, wow. The thing that's most shocking about it to me is how salty it is. Like I am immediately, yeah. I am immediately thirsty when I swallow. It's it's like, it's like what I imagine it feels like to be stuck on a lifeboat. <laughs> uh, with or without a tiger. Yeah, there, there's a drinking. It is making me more and more thirsty. Yeah. I, I mean, now that you're saying it and maybe I can start to think about it in sort of like that, you know, graham crackery kind of uh, note that I often get off of a Goza or a Berliner. Um, well, you know, I there's a little bit of that sweetness. Coriander. But that, but, that I, I, can't, but I can't find it. Honey. But I can't. I know, there. but I like Michael's honey better than yeah. like, I keep looking for coriander because then I'm like, oh, somebody's aping a Goza. Um, but the fruit thing's weird to me and I don't know. There's, it's spicy. I mean, it's just, it's a nice summertime refreshing beer. Like it's just, yeah. the gingery thing is the neat thing. Like it's, it keeps coming back. Like after it's all drunk, you guys know the, the cocktail dark and stormy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. After it's all drunk and swallowed, I've already finished my glass because like I said, every sip made me more thirsty, but the whole wash finish is kind of like you were drinking Dark and Stormy's an hour ago. So that's your ginger note plus the mm -hmm. whatever. Anyway, I like it. I definitely, def to use John's phrase, I'm definitely not mad at it. I drank yeah. it. I drank a four-ounce sample in that amount of time talking to you about it. So that's, that's high praise for anything this time of year. Huh. Um, so... So you think you miss saying, and then tell us where you would drink this beer, right? So if this was in your cellar and you just heard us talking about it and it's, you're like, all right, well, that's where I'll drink it. Where are you drinking this one? Yeah, I, I think this is like a, like a front porch kind of beer, uh, you know, home after work. Um, you know, you don't necessarily want to be slamming it down because it's got enough uh, depth and complexity and those sorts of things that you want to pay attention to it a little bit. I'm not sure I would, uh, you know, have it as, as a, I mean, made that little salinity thing as like a, you know, post, post, uh, you know, hot, hot day, yard work kind of thing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's got a little bit of like a, like a Belgian yeast character of some sort. Um, it is sort of a little in uh, a fun sort of triangulated spot between, um, you know, Belgian beer, German something goes, and, um, you know, a, a honey something, or maybe it's just a little bit yeah. of age. Um, I, 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 as, as we keep going, there's something, God, I wish I had the flavor wheel in front of me because I'm going to say that that subcategory of petrol notes notes that are like you know latex like, paint like, and, ki- like kiwi hops. You mean? Maybe it's you know there's just something like New Zealand hops something in that waxiness that's ending up oily and leaning into the world of you know like the way Vaseline smells or something. Well, that's that medicinal sort of like medicine thing that I was talking about earlier, I think. Yeah, I think I think we agree. It just took me longer to find it. Huh, interesting. Very cool beer. Uh, Cass, can you unwrap it or should I go unwrap mine? You Did can you unwrap think? it, but I will tell you what it is. It okay, is from okay, cool. no- Nomad Brewing um, in Australia. So uh, you kind of nailed it with the Kiwi stuff there. Um, nope, nope. That's a different country. Oh, no, it's different yeah. country. No, sure. Jesus Christ. Totally that, different country. That, that's a complete... We'll edit that, we'll edit that one out. Still, the spear just started, just started you, an international incident. Yeah, yeah. You've, uh, literally just, you've literally just mistaken a Christian <laughs> colony for a prison colony. Well, nobody's, <sighs> nobody's perfect. Either way, though... <laughs> nobody's Augie, even close to right. Augie wasn't wrong with that lifeboat thing. Why? What is it? So, the pepper goza. Salt and pepper goza made with seawater. Oh, no shit. Straight from Freshwater Beach, just down the road from the brewery. Yeah. Uh, Willamette hops. Willamette hops, German ale yeast. Wait, Willamette hops in fucking Australia? (laughs) Wheat malt. Uh, Jesus fucking. The world is upside fucking down. That is just a waste of money. Pepper and coriander, it says. So, there is coriander. So, you know what I think it is? I think pepper and coriander. Triangulate in our heads is ginger, right? Because that's that little spicy yeah. bit of you know what I mean. The, maybe the pepper was the spice we were getting, and the coriander was the aromatics we were getting to go to ginger. Huh. Um, Interesting tasting theory, right? Part of this show is how we learn how to taste in our faces, and I never would have said pepper. And cor- I couldn't find coriander for the yeah. life of me, but the pepper was confusing it. I guess. I, no I man, think- uh Nomad's doing some cool stuff. They just did a collaboration with Jack's Abbey uh, to do an Australian lager, and uh, they've been pushing into the U.S. more and more. And um, I've had a few of their other beers, and I I, I dig what this brewery is doing. They're kind of they're kind of weird in a in a way that works. It's like this isn't a gimmick. This saltwater thing, like it actually added something to it, as opposed to sometimes when you see some other brewers that kind of just do things for for the clicks. For the untapped uh, likes. Well, bro, I mean, come on, seawater. Anyway, definitely don't tell Bob Olson he could be using seawater. Um, you'll end up with the Raritan Bay Lucky Charm Spear. Um, <laughs> no, that, that Metal Lens <laughs> groundwater is, uh, is, is perfectly <laughs> potable. Anyway, Michael, you were going to say something before John. Oh, I, I, I think it's that pepper note that I was, I was picking up as the Belgian yeast thing, that um, okay. peppery thing. But now, now that I... Um, Drink it knowing that there's pepper in there. It definitely has that, yeah, that sharpness. That uh... yeah, it's fun, right? Well, I'm I'm gonna pour myself a little. See what I can see now. God, it's here's the thing about how good it is. 
is I think I'm through half a can and I'm trying to be, you know, prudent here. I appreciate too. It doesn't have, um, I've had a couple of black pepper beers that have that real, uh, peppercorn stuck in your throat sort of effect. And this really nope. doesn't have that, um, pepper heat to it. Hmm. I'm looking at the can now they've got a squid on it, which I wonder if that's a, just a seawater note or a, how you would prepare squid salt and pepper note. Hmm. Um, all right, cool. Um, I think we got to leave this behind, even though I like how much it, it captured yeah. our attention and thoughts. Good job. So is Nomad, John, do you know, is Nomad Carlton funded? Are they actually independent? Which, how are they getting over here so well? Because that's who is, a, who is Carlton? Carlton is the that's biggest bud, beer that, producer in Australia. I have, They're the I have bud no of idea. Australia. I have, I have no idea who owns them. But uh, It looks okay. like, it, no, on the can it says they're imported by Be United. All right. All right. Good for Be United. Maybe it's well, yeah, but if they're if they're buying Willamette hops in Australia, and then there's shipping beer big... back here, they have a lot of money to burn. <laughs> there's there's there, I mean there there's a pretty big um, Pacific Northwest and Australia and New Zealand connection uh, that exists. So um, I, I I don't know how rare something like this is, but all right, let's get back to Michael. So do you? Do you fuck around with gozes? Um, yeah. Like, is there any? Is there any kind of? I wrote the book on sours. I'm not allowed to quick and dirty. Or are you? Do you have any rules like that in your head that you've made and broken, made and followed, never made? No, uh, gozo. So we do a beer called uh, Salzig, which is German for salty, um, and we do just mixed ferment. We uh, pitch lacto. We use USO five just because it's quick and clean and gets the beer down. And then we've gone back and forth uh, for a while. We were using a Brett strain that was um, cultured by a guy named uh, Chris Pinchon from France from a 1991 bottle of uh, Wilner Brewing uh, Berliner Weiss. Um, it, was, it was fun. It sort of had, if you liked it, it was sort of like a lemon, lemon pepper kind of thing. If you didn't like it, it was maybe a little more dill pickly. Um, and so we've, we've, the most recent batch, we swapped that out. Um, but the way we do is we just get it fermented as dry as we can, as fast as we can, and then we keg condition it for um, pretty much as long as, as we can. We'll just drag one keg into the walk-in um, as a backup, and then it's fun for the regulars because they can come in right when we first release it, when it's probably only been in the keg for three or four weeks. And then, hey, that last keg, a couple of months later, often has developed a lot more uh, bright character, a lot more, you know, acidity and dryness and whatever, just from sitting warm for a couple of months. Neat. Neat, fun stuff. So are you force carbing? All right, so let's talk about your clean beers, because you're doing sure. those two, and I don't want to get in a rut here. Yeah. And I was about to ask if you're force carbing anything, and it occurs to me you must force carb your clean side. Yes. So let's talk about where lines cross and where lines don't cross in there. Yeah, so it's, we're uh, sort of in a, a state of transition at the moment. We just took over another unit in our same building that we moved all our sour barrels to and um, like our blending tank and all that stuff. But we still have one tank on the pad along with um, all the clean beer tanks that we use for primary mixed fermentation before a beer goes into a barrel um, and or some of these kind of quicker uh, turns sort of beers. Um, and yeah, we mostly force carb all the clean stuff. It's just easier. We have a rotometer, we dial it in, we check the carb, we get the carb done, we're done. Um, for the sour beers, um, 
when we keg condition, we used to give them a little bit of carb um, or we used to um, like prime them or something. And we would just run into issues where beers would get overcarbed and try to degas them is a real pain. So now sort of the process is you drag a, a, when one keg goes on, you drag another one in, we have a spare line that we just hook it up to and it sits on gas for a week and a half until the, uh, the beer that's, the keg that's on tap kicks, the carb beer goes on, the next beer goes on. And, and often by the end of the, um, you know, the time we have one of those beers, it's mostly carved already just from sitting in the, uh, the keg with uh, Brett. Um, we fill on a scale, which is a little bit of a pain in the ass, but we like to leave sort of a, a gallon or a half a gallon of headspace just to uh, make the CO2 go in a little quicker once it's on, but also to give us a little way to, to vent it down if it comes to that. Understood. That's, that's all, uh, that's a lot of method. How long have you guys been at this game? Cause that's, uh, yeah, that is clearly nuance, you know, like, you know, I mean, that's stuff of having, having had to jibe or tack a couple times to figure it out. Yeah. How, we, when, we, how, we, when did you, have you quit your, your economist job? Oh yeah. I, I, I had dreams. So when did that of, all go down for you? Uh, right before we opened about three years ago. Oh, Okay. okay. So Saison, like right at the beginning, it seemed like a sort of an easy test beer to, you know, you're, you're not going to screw anything up too bad when you're doing a Brett Saison. Uh, if the gravity's a little high or a little low or whatever, uh, and we've just sort of been doing that since and slowly figuring out, you know, you, it's easy to remember after you spend, you know, uh, some time venting down, you know, 10 kegs or whatever, uh, <laughs> that, you know, wow, this may not have been the right way to do it. Um, but yeah, uh, recently we've been, it's been a lot easier. Um, we've sort of, yeah, fig- figured out most of that stuff. Uh, and luckily um, haven't had any trouble in a while. <laughs> good, good. That's a great trend. Um, did COVID not knock you out of your tasting room much? It sounds like you've been at it for all three years and, you know, a significant amount of those months were, were not, you know, in the, in the bar yeah. space. Yeah. I, How'd uh, that luck- go for you guys? Luckily in Maryland, we were deemed an essential business. And so I think there was about two months where we weren't doing any sort of pours in house, but people could come and pick up beer, um, uh, hysteria brewing across town, had an old, Wait, you have uh, a brewery near you called Hysteria? We do. Oh, that's fantastic. And they uh, they lent us their old uh, Crowler Seamer or their old, you know, single head October or whatever. And so for a while there, we were we were crowlering about four kegs a day uh, just to uh, keep up with demand. And luckily, um, our, our regulars were super supportive. And a lot of people, you know, went from dropping by once a week for a pint or two to, you know, dropping by, you know, once a week to take home, you know, a case of beer. Um, and so, yeah, last year we were, we were okay when we don't do much distribution anyway. And so just a lot of move from, uh, draft sales to, to cans. Uh, we do a mobile canner for the most part for the clean beers. Um, we were able to add some tanks last year. And so we were moving towards more canning anyway, and that just sort of sped things up. Um, but yeah. How how are you liking your mobile canner? Um, pretty good. Oh my God. Is this another cast customer? I I don't know. Got it. You oh. got it. Oh. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I was really you guys, hoping. You guys owe us re- money. Because here's the thing. Most <laughs> of the time when people are on the show and they say they're mobile canner, they're dropping the name first. So I was really, 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 I was like, oh, and Ironheart, of course, is using it. So I was really hopeful 
that it was a, another company and we could just make cast really uncomfortable for the next <laughs> 45 seconds. But alas. Uh, yeah, we tried Iron Her. They're just terrible. I don't, I don't know right. what's wrong with those. Cool. I, We're it's fine, except for the mustache kid. <laughs> he shows up with coffee and wine and wants to know what you want to trade him for and uh, yeah. guy's got a sack of barley on his back because he heard about the shortage looking for hazy like the johnny Appleseed of yeah. of mobile canning he just goes around just leaving aluminum wherever he goes right <laughs> up so um so on the on the clean dirty thing that's a t-shirt yeah yeah so on the clean dirty thing, I imagine when you all decided to like when you made this big switch uh, from you know deeply interested home brewer to mm-hmm. production brewer, some of the idea was that having the guy that wrote the book on sours would would be a marketing you know gem and all that would be wonderful. Yeah, and and I'm wondering. You know, being one of those guys out there who does both and always wishes the world took the sours more seriously, how much, what's your split side to side, clean and dirty? Have you gotten any benefit from that? Or have you just found the same, you know, 12% of people in every community that get the weird beers are those people for you and then everybody else wants juicy hazy? Um, it's a little bit of a, a mixture. I definitely the, the barrel aged sour folks are, uh, very committed and very enthusiastic about it. Um, it's also something that's probably, we have more like we have a, a bottle club and those people are much more sort of far and wide because it's worth just dropping by a couple times a year to pick up their um, allotment. Um, we definitely always keg some of the beer that we bottle from the barrel side, just so we can do five ounce pours, let people try it without committing to a whole bottle. Um, okay. And those, that definitely sort of opens some eyes and it's just always easier to give somebody a taste of something. Um, our bar manager was just saying that like, uh, you know, the bottle is sort of like an intimidating thing for people. You walk into a brewery and there's 12 beers on tap. That's like just a much safer thing to just have some of what's on tap rather than, you know, peruse the bottle list and the, the weird descriptions an and interesting. The yeah. difficult to pronounce, you know, ingredients and whatever and, and commit to something well, unless you're maybe splitting it with a couple of friends or something. Yeah. My problem with that thinking and I get it completely, but Kennedy almost set up as if this is where we're going to go. Juicy hazy. Well, almost juicy hazy, but the problem, and, and this is what I was talking about. Like I agree with you and I agree on that service, but a lot of that is proper ordering. And like, I would not, if I knew these two beers, beer one and what I'm now smelling and sipping as beer two, I would not have put these in this order. Because it smells like a juicy, hazy, pretty thing. But because it's following a salt and pepper goza, it feels kind of bodiless. And as it, so I think the flavors of that previous beer are drawing a, a wedge between the aromatics and the palate of this beer. Because it smells. We are talking about beer two now. Beer two, but smelling Great. beer two, but talking about that, talking about getting people in the room and giving a five ounce where you give them a five ounce of something with some aromatic interest. And I don't even mean like the truly sour stuff, you know what I mean? But, but more like the Brett barrels we were talking about and Cezanne's where all they do is fuck up the two before and the four after 
because you know what I mean? There's, there's such a fine point to where the aromatics dance in a pretty one of those. And they're so off the, off the wedge. If you get a guy that's had two, you know, classic, call it Simcoe, Citra. What's that hop you hate, John? All of them. Uh, but mostly mosaic. Mostly, mostly mosaic. Mostly mosaic, yeah. Which beer you know number I mean? two is definitely uh, heavy handed with. Um, this, yeah. But you know what I mean? On the, on the aromatics. But on the palate, to me, it's just feeling kind of thin. And I don't know that that's what this beer would do if it wasn't chasing a salt and pepper goza. I, that was a long way to get to, to there, but yeah, it's there. But no, what I'm talking about is when you're in the room and you're trying to give people something to try, if an enthusiastic server jumps in with, you know, they're open-minded because they're on their second 8% IPA and you're like, Hey, maybe it's time for you to try this Saison. You can blow up the Saison because it's coming behind a beer like this. But you can yeah. also blow up a beer like this. If you put the Saison first, it's, it's, it's such a, progression and specific palette specific thing like this thing's tasting very soapy to me and i feel yeah. like that's the coriander maybe uh, from the I, previous beer okay you know what i mean i don't know i i, I want to hear from michael what what uh yeah michael i was wanting your thoughts on that too but you know what i mean like while i was going through this in my head and you were saying what you're saying i'm like but you need a deft server to do that yeah, is we, what i was thinking we don't do sample pours. We do half pours for half the price okay. of a full pour. And that's partly I don't love the going back and forth between things unless you have two beers that you have next to each other intentionally because they're different vintages or you want to try one with coffee and one without coffee or whatever it is. But mm -hmm. um, Coffee and beer. We agree on that. And the world hates me for that. Like I won't do a paddle. Yeah. I'll give you a four sampler, but yeah. they come one at a time. And there's there's a significant part of the world that thinks they should just keep bouncing back and fucking forth between stout Kolsch and Saison. Yeah. And I, I get to like, we're, we're in an industrial park and you know, most people are driving there and I, I, we wanted to give a, Hey, you don't have to have, you know, five full beers to try five different things, but we also didn't want to, yeah, deal, deal with those flights and just wacky orders and people don't know what they're drinking and, and all that. Um, yeah. This beer, I don't know for anyone else, it, it foamed up quite a bit on me when I opened it. I'm not sure if that's just it warmed up. Yeah, or what. it actually, it, when I when I first opened this can, like there was bits of foam peeking out from from the lid itself, or from the yeah from the opening. Like this is pretty robustly carbonated, and I I, 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 I kind of dig it. Yeah, now I, I'm I worried that's I what's making it a little. I think that's what's making it a little like snappier and maybe taste a little thinner too. A, a lot of um, a lot of carb to me often just sort of like uh, thins out a beer if it's yeah um, com compared to you know maybe the lower carb you might expect in sort of a, a let's say a, a modern IPA. Yeah. Quick question, because mm -hmm. you guys have me concerned because you both experienced that and I didn't. We're drinking out of a twelve ounce can that says two on it, right? Yes. Yep. Okay. Just making sure I didn't accidentally. Open the wrong beer. Um, you don't want to put pull a hole. You know, I said pull a hole. <laughs> I did it. I did it once. And on this show, on this show, that's enough. You fuck one goat, John. That's um, a great joke. But um, <laughs> that's a great line. Um, no, but here's the thing about it. So, it, it, for me, it, it has that mosaic. It has that hazy, juicy thing. But there, there's a grain quality to this. There's like a like sort of like a if if 
brewers using local malts, I'm not going to be surprised because there's that sort of gritty, grainy characteristic. But it also, the grain is so prominent where it's like, I, I'm, I'm just like, I'm, I, I'm, I'm sort of confused because it feels old school, but the hops are so modern and so aromatic off of this one with just that, you know, pineapple, guava, orange zest, whatever. Um, but there's the, the, the grain bill prominence is not something that I'm accustomed to with these styles. And I'm, I'm digging it for that reason. Whereas otherwise with this particular style, I'd be like, Oh, hum. If you told Michael. me there was actual citrus zest in it, I, I don't think I would debate it. It to yeah. me like has a, like a clearer citrus uh, than a lot of, um, you know, four different or five different hop variety sort of blends are going to give you. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely like, like a lemon zest or like a, like a fresh orange zest too. Like yeah. it's, it's, it's like a young orange kind of thing. Like it's, it's, it's really kind of, it, it's fun on the nose, but that grainy, that gritty grain sensation, um, it's either deliberate or it's somebody who's just kind of messing around with something new and knows that an IPA, you know, on a label is going to sell. Hmm. Um, I'd like the Michael, it was you that talked about the carbonation, right? Cause it mm -hmm. does that kind of super zippy peroxide wash of the tongue thing. I like, um, I suspect there's centennial in it. And what's weird about that is I've never suspected that before, but in the finish, the beers of mine it reminds me of have centennial in them. Okay. In and it's what, the in only what way? Thing like... that's, there's there's that that orange thing you were trying to explain, that 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 kind of it. zesty thing. Yeah. That puts my brain in the in the space of centennial or I guess maybe Chinook. Okay. Uh, but otherwise it it smells just like there's something about it that's rooted in a familiar not the newest wave of hops world right like that's, that's what i'm saying with like the grain like it for me that's more grain focused yeah. but i don't feel any yeah. grain in this i just get the carbonation the aromatics and like i said on the palate it's and i'm blaming the ghost for this i don't want to be mean to the spirit i'm trying to be really careful here because if this was the first beer of the day and this was my palate perception i'd be really mean to the fact that they worked on their hop bill a lot more than they worked on their grain bill um but it tastes like pilsner malts to me which is a fine way to build something and then like i said there's something 2012 to 15 about the hop bill that that definitely speaks to me i still i still to keep trying to drag us back to okay. that but I'm, I'm suspecting it's centennial uh but i don't know i don't care it's fun i'd I'd probably, if, if, if we were at a party, the, the three of us, and these were in the cooler, I'd probably switch back to the goes for a while till we ran out and then see if four of these in a row righted the ship and my palate could work with what this beer's trying to do for me. God, I had forgotten how difficult parties with you are. Yeah, well, oh. that's, that's why we only invite you to certain ones of them. That's... that's... Award. Um, <laughs> Cass, what are we? Where I'm sorry, where, Michael, where would you Wait, drink yeah, this? Michael, where would you drink it? 
And it, this is like a, you know, like a game night beer or something like that, that, you know, it's, oh, it's easy to drink. I think this would appeal to a lot of people. Yes. Um, you know, it's, it's hoppy enough yes. for a hop head person, but it's not super bitter. It's not, it's got a little of that grain thing. Yeah. I think the whether bitterness, it's guava. The, yeah. The missing bitterness, bitterness is interesting. I hadn't noted that, but. There's, it, yeah, but there wants, is some, but not I feel a, like not this wants to be more bitter, though. I feel like that might be the thing that's dissociating the palate from the nose for me. Huh. Yeah, it's, I mean, good, good note, it's, Michael. It's it's a fun sort of mix between like an older school IPA, but then sort of I, I get a little like guava tropical thing too, and the lower bitterness that sort of also reads more modern, but without sort of being that you know super thick, um, you know hefty kind of IPA. Yeah. yeah. I think it wants, in my head, I think it wants about 10 more IBU, and I think that corrects everything. But whatever. Nobody drinks things as bitter as I do anymore. Um, you guys are so good. It is uh, Crooked Staves Juicy West Coast IPA, dominated by citrus and tropical flavors from Amarillo, Azaka, Mosaic, Motueka. Yeah. You know what it is? It's Amarillo. What I was calling Centennial is Amarillo, and that totally makes sense. There it is. All right. Ooh. Well. Boom roasted. Um, Huzzah. Crooked Stave. I thought, so this is like you making hazies or West Coast juicies. Like Crooked Stave in my head is, is a, a sad. Yeah, pretty robust clean side uh, these days. If I remember correctly, they're one of the first breweries that I walked into where they were really differentiating between their clean side and their wild side. Uh, they is it like two... Greg and Marsha when they were both in the attic? Is there a big line of tape down the middle? Well, uh, something along that. Yeah, that's, uh, boy, really dating yourself there. Um, <laughs> that's it. a Brady Bunch reference, kids. Uh, but there's <laughs> a, um, yeah, but, they, but they've been doing that for, for quite a while, Chad and his team. Uh, yeah. They're, well, they're Michael, you were just there. talking about potting or adding a pot or adding a day or adding a wing. Yeah. For your sour stuff, talk about that. As you had them both in house together, what was your uh, what was your SOP for that? And do you feel more liberty or like something's missing in the change? How'd that go down for you? Um, it went it went pretty well. So we really hadn't done much packaging until the start of the pandemic. We'd done uh, a couple of contract brews at another local brewery for canning, and then like one uh, brewery did a collab with us and brought their little mobile canner. And so obviously there's a little less risk when uh, you're kegging everything and everything is pretty much staying in house. Um, and we were lucky enough to uh, hire a new brewer. So Scott and I aren't the only ones, uh, you know, cleaning tanks and washing kegs. Uh, and he came from a, a bigger brewer. And so uh, is a little more um, thorough with his, his cleaning and also with his um, concern over uh, you know, our, our process and, you know, where we're shooting sour <laughs> yeast and all those things. Um, we're lucky not to have a, had a problem. Um, I don't think we've had in a, a, a batch that went off. We've definitely had, like, I'll, I'll sometimes fill a keg with, like, top-up beer for the barrels, and we've had one or two of those get a little spicy on us, which isn't the best sign <laughs> in the world. Um, it's, def it's definitely what really what it allows us to do is to do two things at once. Um, if we're bottling a sour beer, um, we kind of pressure fill, and there's always a little misting when the, the bottle releases. Um, and it's nice not to have that, you know, uh, six inches away from 
um, you know, a, a tank with double IPA in it or whatever. Oh, yeah. Um, and so that's the kind of thing. And hey, now like a couple people can be over in the new unit, you know, dealing with the sour beer or transferring or washing barrels or whatever while we're brewing or harvesting yeast. And we just don't have to deal with those two things happening at, happening at the same moment. Um, we are big believers in pasteurization. We, um, I, I, chemicals do a decent job, but um, for any sort of real pressure point, we have an on-demand hot water heater and we run 180 degree water through our brink or whatever it is um, until, you know, all hooked up with teas, um, just so it is all connected. We don't have to open it afterwards and we're confident in the uh, cleanliness of it. Yeah. That all makes sense. I, I remember being deep in the uh, deep in the cups with a a sour brewer back in the day who said who said that not only do you need to do that, but the trick is just flush sugar water through everything so all the bugs wake up and come to the edge and then boil the little fuckers. And I was like, "That's amazing! I love this idea." I mean, sadistic, um, but yeah, that makes sense. Well, it's you know, but it's anybody that does this dance, you you gotta treat them like they're sentient and they're out to fuck you. And once well, once you come around to that way of thinking, you you encourage them and help them grow and kill them just like you would your children. No, and that, that works well for us. We just did our first uh, hard seltzer with uh, a whole bunch of Cabernet Franc grapes. So we're making that sugar water already. So now we have a Right, so you got it. it. Yeah. So, so now you know, just fill up, a, fill up a keg and pump it through right before the hot water. Just get them all dancing and then cut their legs right out from under them like, like a Methodist church in an Idaho movie in the 80s. Um, wow. What? Yeah, and you're just you're just like really dating yourself uh, on this episode, <laughs> and and I'm enjoying it. Like I nobody I just, that listens think... to this show thinks I'm a young man, Chuck. <laughs> uh, anyway, Spirit. So so let's uh, let's let we've we've I feel like we've got so much more to talk about. There's and so we're much out more to talk about. But let me ask you this: so Michael, being a come guy, back. being a guy who if you didn't teach us all lessons, you definitely framed a conversation for us on sure. one of the more interesting corners. And I know you touched on it before with what you would change in the book, but now that you're three years in, what's the, what, if you were going to write your next book, what's the thing that now that you're doing it, you're like, Oh man, we need a lot more education on X. Um, so I, my, my partner at the brewery, Scott Janish is also an author. Uh, he wrote the new IPA. Right. He has a blog. And so it, uh, we uh, I have a project we are working on currently. So I, I don't know how, how in, in detail I can get on. What oh, cease uh, and desist. Is this, is this, is this a, uh, a IP, IPTM. Uh, it, we, we have not, there's, there's nothing sort of been formalized. We're, we're just sort of kicking ideas around, but yeah. John, so the we, Brewers Association is not allowed to write a book that isn't about equality in the workspace for the next 10 years. So I hope you have a different deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So I, I, I won't get into it, but I mean, you, you sort of figure that they're like, you know, we we're business people and we want to sell, you know, copies of the book and, We've done IPAs and sours, so there's only like a couple more options on. Uh, oh, pastry stout! Woohoo! <laughs> oh, I guess I hit it. Sorry, <laughs> I was joking. Um, gotcha. Uh, awesome. Well, so Cass, did Kennedy give you a letter? We do have um, a letter. Um, let me bring it up. 
All How right. How could you not be ready for yeah, this? Seriously. The clock like, I actually, 45 minutes. I literally had to just click one tab. Calm okay, your pie. Well, all right, all right, read it. All right. All right. It's been a brutal couple of weeks within the craft beer industry, to use Brianne Allen's own words, brutal but necessary. Yeah. I've, been take, I've been taking the time each day to read every single post Brianne has shared in her stories, which are also cataloged in Sexism Parts 1 through 9. She's up to Part 9 at the moment, but this will continue to expand as each and every voice deserves to be heard. Everyone who cares about this industry should do the same. I also went back to re-listen to episode 49 of Mr. Hall's podcast, Drink Beer, Think Beer, which featured Brianne. I hope everyone... Don, you have another podcast? I do. It's called Drink Beer, Think Beer. Oh, new episodes every Wednesday where... I feel like I you're actually, cheating on me. I bring the guest on and I let them answer questions. Nobody likes that. Yeah. It's a really fun conversation where the guest actually gets to just spend time sharing their thoughts and ideas. It's you just uh, give it up on novel. giving the people what they want. It's just novel. Yeah, as, well, I mean, as I wear novel, novel as long as you mean failed business models. Anyway, go on. She, wow. she, <laughs> hurtful. She, she and John touched on topics of inclusion and diversity in craft beer industry, while also even talking about badass pitch line barrel aged pilsner. Everyone mm. should take the time to listen and consider all they discussed. And John, did you write these. this? I, I feel like I might have, but yeah, who? How who much wrote have this you been drinking? I, well, if you guys would stop talking over me, I'd finish the letter and tell you. Have who you wrote been it. on the show? All right. John Everyone, is telling you how he lets people talk by not letting you talk. This led me to wonder what conversations have been like in each of your own four corners of the business. What discussions have taken place at Carton? What has been talked about at Ironheart? And I'd love to know what uh, John and Andy had discussed at Beer Edge. And, you know, we'll, we'll throw uh, Michael in into mix here, too, at his brewery. Um, you know, what discussions we've had with others. Again, it's been a brutal, to say the very least, but also incredibly necessary. We have a lot of work to do. With a broken heart from Philadelphia, Charlie Chessweater. Oh, we know him. I think that I never thought that was John before now, but now I'm suspicious. Um, So I'm assuming either you're not listening to the podcast or this was written before we did a couple shows talking about this. I will try to hit it. I don't know that it's brutal. I will agree it's necessary. I think it's interesting. I think it's an evolving conversation. Um. I think it's it's definitely like I just made a joke about the Brewers whatever association based on this exact topic. So it's it's that much in the forefront of my mind. Um, we talked in past episodes about how when this all happened, I reached out again to a couple people. Um, and I don't want to put words in anybody else's mouth. But I'm concerned that Brienne was important and did start an important conversation about the disenfranchised in craft brewing. And I think that is a thing that is well worth attention and we need to work to solve. I think that conversation quickly began to encompass those that are disgruntled. And I think if you're disgruntled, you got to get the fuck out of the way. I don't want people to be disgruntled and I hope everybody finds happiness in their life. But to solve what is a giant problem that people haven't been great at solving, you know, historically, which is people being disenfranchised by a work opportunity matters. We need to make sure everybody finds the right job 
and can find wholeness and nothing is keeping people from finding nothing unfair is keeping people from finding happiness because of who they are. We don't need to make everybody happy in every job. And I've seen a whole lot of these complaints move from this happened and I was chased out of an industry I wanted to love to my boss yelled at me. Let's, you know, talk about that. Or I worked with a guy who was stupid. That's not, I'm not saying it's not something that should be talked about, but it's not the conversation I think Brian started. And I think the conversation Brian started, if we stay on and stay ahead of, can be better for all of us in an industry, which is, again, enfranchising people. What's the right word, Mr. Writer? What's the, you know what I mean? Disenfranchise? Well, we don't want to disenfranchise people. We want people that believe they- No, you want people to be engaged. You want people to be, you know- Everybody. uh, Yeah. And we want everybody to find their place, right? Not every place needs for, for every person, but every person needs to be able to find their space or create their own space. And that's where we need to focus. We don't need to focus on griping about the fact that working sucks because working sucks. That's the human condition. What we need to gripe about is places where people that want to do work, should do work, could do work, aren't finding the ability to do it because there's a big schism in the way we look at things that makes those people not feel or not be welcome. Well, well that's a lot. I mean, at this point, there's a lot of stories out there. There's a lot to be covering. There's a lot to be looking at. We've obviously seen, um, you know, th- there's a lot of news that has come out of these posts and a lot of um, actions that have happened with inside of breweries or inside of organizations. And that continues to evolve. And that's, you know, certainly what, you know, as a journalist, what I'm paying attention to right now. And just in this last week, we've seen uh, founders and leaders of uh, breweries uh, two in Massachusetts come to mind um, that have stepped back or stepped away um, or been replaced. And that's, you know, that's a direct result of these posts that are going up there. There's also a lot of verification that needs to happen as well, because a lot of these posts, um, you know, names are, are, are being dropped and there's no checks and balances. And while, uh, you know, people are putting names out there, um, you know, journalistically, we need to check into it first and we need to, you know, make calls and find out what's going on and a lot of, I think the reporters that are covering the space are doing that. And there's certainly a lot of stories in the works right now um, on all of the different angles that have been brought up because of this. And so um, this is something that is, is important in the beer industry and in humanity. And, you know, as a, as a journalist, it's, you know, the story that needs to be paid attention to and is being paid attention to, and will continue to be at the forefront for, the foreseeable future, if not beyond, until uh, people see the change that they want to see and the the, the actions taken that uh, need to be taken. And Michael, don't feel obliged to throw <laughs> in here. We've been deep down this path and, and we kind of committed to this conversation when we started this podcast six years ago. But you coming on to tell us how you've been in the last six years doesn't mean you need to speak on it. But if you have sure. thoughts, Thoughts, feel free to share them. 
No, I, I, I think, I mean, it's, it's obviously a really important um, area of discussion and, and we've done our best to do things like blind hiring and, um, you know, to give opportunities to people who, you know, at least an interview for somebody. Um, but for me, I, it seems like so much of the, the trouble stems from breweries that uh, grow so quickly and it's easy. I mean, we're still at that sort of early stage of, you know, Scott and I are involved in the business every day. We're washing kegs. We're, you know, out on out out talking to people uh, regularly. And uh, by I can see how some of these places grow in ten years from one location with five employees to ten locations with fifteen hundred employees. Um, and someone whose skill set is uh, knowing what beers taste good and knowing um, you know how to sell beer is not um, magically going to have the skill set or the, you know, the ability to decide when's the right time to get an HR department, when's, you know, what's the right way to deal with XYZ, um, you know, uh, problem. Um, and I think it's hopefully for us coming in a really valuable time to sort of keep that, those ideas and those policies um, to our forefront as we expand and add staff and locations and we can't be there every day and we aren't just going to see someone being you know treated poorly that we have to you know rely yeah. on um, open lines of communication with staff and you know being available and present um, until we get to the scale that we can have you know dedicated systems to um, you know investigate uh, complaints or those sorts of things that's yeah absolutely and that that is a good point like it's yeah so I will just throw in with what you said, because it's one of the things I'm realizing being somebody who's stayed intentionally small and, you know, a group of 20, some of the things that concern me most about our growth happened when it was just four of us and we were all way too comfortable and way too familiar. You know what I mean? And some of the gapping helped, but then there was also the point where, as jobs needed to be done, we started just pointing to people and be like, okay, now you're in charge of that. And, you know, finding the right people with the right skill set for the right job is something that I'm now very much focused on because of the beginning where it was, well, there's only eight of us. So everybody has to do every job, you know, who gets pointed at isn't always the best person for the job. And like you were saying, a guy who's great at sales, on the road might not even be the best manager of sales, let alone the best manager of, you know, blah. So it's, it's, you know, it's growing and knowing to consider that. And, you know, that's the thing we've really started focusing on in our eighth and ninth year, not in our first and second year. So I see that as a, as this conversation as a benefit for framing that and good point. Yeah. Um, so there's another added bonus to the current mode as set by that, that, that Instagram of Brianne's. Well done, Brianne. Uh, but we need to move on. We promise the people we'll, we'll get them out of here in 45 minutes and then we chat with them for five hours. <laughs> um, Michael, I appreciate you coming on. Thanks. It's been a while. Come to Soured this September and uh, bring something cool and drink it with me. Um, That'd be fun. Yeah. I think, I think we're all due for more of those events. Um, Cass, well, let's do Brian first. Tell him how to find you, how to buy your beers, how to join that cool ass bottle club you were talking about. And then Cass will tell him how to give me that sweet, sweet, sweet cash. <laughs> uh, 
Um, so we're in Columbia, Maryland. We're sort of between uh, Baltimore and DC right off of 95. And um, most of our beer and particularly all of our bottles are just available at the tasting room. And uh, we send a little bit of uh, cans out into the market, but just Maryland. So we're looking to you know stay small and stay weird. And um, our releases are the the bottles are just sort of when they're ready. And so we've got a, an email list that I uh, write most of the content for and we're on all, all the, all your favorite social medias to rot your brain. Right on. Yeah. Keep rotting those brains. All right, Cass, how do they buy haul that house he needs in Maryland? Yes. Uh, if you would like to buy Hall's house into Chesapeake Bay, send us some money at patreon.com. On, on, not on. in. Yeah, no, it's not. It's on the Chesapeake. I'm not in. I'm not buying a houseboat. Come on. You want an island? Buy the islands. <laughs> Patreon.com. Steal this size. Steal this beer. If you would like to write us a, a letter like Mr. Chess Sweater, steal this beer podcast at gmail.com. See what we're drinking on Untapped and follow us on all social medias at Steal This Beer. All right. Well, Great thank job, you for that, always. dude. Oh, appreciate it, all of you. And hey, guys, get at us. Cheers. Cheers.